book in the Bible, second reading from the last. I'll read from Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. May God add his blessing to that reading. It brings a tear to the eye, that one. I'd like to... Uh, bring a message which I've titled God's Purpose for Us. And as I said, I think, uh, I think I've heard a fair bit of the sermon already this morning in some of the prayers and some of the song. Is it coincidental? No. Pete, well this time last week I wasn't expecting to be here at Olveston preaching today and when Pete contacted me... Uh, I didn't have a lot to uh, prepare, so uh, a lot of time to prepare, so I, I searched into you know, something that I'd already done and uh, reworked it a little bit. Anyway, can we just pray before we start? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that uh, you've given us the word, both the living word and the written word, and Father, that... Uh, through your son Jesus you have saved us you have atoned us and father we are not worthy but father your word is there to direct us and lead us and this day father may you bless us as we open your word may we father treasure the message that you have for us this day may the words that I bring forth Truly speak your truth. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to start posing a question, a rhetorical question. Why did God create the heavens and the earth? And more specifically, why did he create man? I mean... It's a hard concept, but God sitting there, everything perfect, why did he create man specifically? He created the world, but why did he create man? We heard from the first reading that uh, he created man in his own image. And he gave a blessing be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature. In this, the pre-fall world, there was no sin, no suffering, no death. Human beings were invited to live with God and to rule over his creation. But we all know what happened next. Sin entered the world. And we are now living in a fallen world. We then move on to the New Testament reading, which I just bought. We have a new heaven and a new earth. And everything will be perfect. Let me say that I believe this is God's ultimate purpose to recreate this fallen world and to bring about a new heaven, a new earth. And he is redeeming a people for himself with whom he will dwell and with whom he will share his own glory. So the next question, what happens between the creation and the new heaven? You are born, you live, and you die. And that life here on earth defines your eternity, heaven or hell. I postulate that you waste your life if you ignore God's purpose for you. So I'd like to bring three points about God's purpose. And the first point, God does have a plan and he does have a purpose for each and every one of us. Firstly, this plan, it's not about you or me. God's purpose for us is far greater than our own fulfilment, our own peace of mind or happiness. It is about our creator. We were born by his purpose, for his purpose. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We live now in a self-centred world, much of the world encourages us to get the most out of life. But surely God intends us to add to life here on earth. God has called us for a purpose. Why else do we remain here on earth 
after we've been saved. Surely he could just call us home to be in heaven with him. Why does he leave us here in a fallen world? The reason he leaves us here is because God does have a plan for us. Consider the call of Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. We don't need to qualify for this. Nothing we can do ourselves can make us acceptable to be part of God's plan. We just need to submit to God's calling. But you might say, well, Jeremiah was a special case. He was a prophet. Listen to the encouraging words of Paul to Timothy. God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. We're so privileged to have a loving God. But this does not mean that God's calling for us will be entirely pleasant. I don't think that's part of the call. But it will be best according to God's eternal plan. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The problem is that often we do not have the patience to wait on God, to listen and understand what it is that he needs us to do. Sometimes we think we know best, but we should remember and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Have been, who have been called according to his purpose. Second point, who is called? Do we have a choice? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. We shouldn't serve God out of fear or out of a sense of duty, but out of joy 
with deep gratitude for what he has done for us. Look at the example of Peter's mother-in-law. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. We are blessed so that we may be a blessing to others. We are saved to serve, not to sit around and wait for heaven. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We might. Each and every one of us has a role to play. There are no insignificant ministries. And it was wonderful listening to the pastoral prayer this morning and going through the individual ministries within the church. The message from Paul to the church at Corinth highlights that God can and will use the least obvious. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is important for all parts of the body to function in service to God. If one part of the body is not in service, the effectiveness of the rest of the body is reduced. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and all these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. 
If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. As we grow in our relationship with God, we do gain spiritual maturity. But spiritual maturity is not an end in itself, but should lead to service for Christ. Don't take this the wrong way, but the last thing a lot of Christians need is another Bible study or seminar. What they need is to recognise and act on the opportunity to serve God. Listening to what God wants is more important than trying to work out why he wants it. What excuse could you possibly have? Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had marital and family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. Peter was impulsive. Martha was a warrior. The Samaritan woman had failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid. And the list goes on. Move to our third point. What are we called to do? What are these good works to which we are called? Their primary manifestation is the change of heart and character that comes from the new birth. The process of becoming holy in daily life through grateful, spirit-empowered obedience. Paul spoke of this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which, we, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. Our service is evidence of our relationship with Christ. 
John tells us that we know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. And brothers is fellow believers. We should be serving God with a spirit of gratitude for all he has done for us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of spiritual worship. And this is not merely ritual activity, but the involvement of heart, mind and will. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength of God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So in conclusion... Remember, we are not saved by service or works. We are saved for service. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's grand purpose for the world to come then is in the process of coming into being, in the present through the redeeming and restoring work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ and by the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, God is at work preparing a people to populate his new world. His purpose is to conform them to the image of Christ. This means that God's purpose for each one of us is to be transformed in character such that we more fully reflect the character of our God and increasingly live a life of love and good works. Paul tells us the time will come. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Will we be able to give a favourable comparison between time spent on ourselves and time spent serving God? A famous proverb from once the richest man in the world, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Or from the contemporary English version, it is better to obey the Lord and have only a little than to be very rich and terribly confused. Don't settle for the good life because the good life is not good enough. Ultimately, it does not satisfy. You can have a lot to live on and still nothing to live for. Aim instead for the better life, serving God in a way that expresses your heart. Peter gives some sound advice. But in your hearts set apart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And how better can I finish than to leave you with the Paul's words to the Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you do have a plan. It would be easy to look around this earthly world and think that there was no plan. But Father, we look to your scriptures, to your word, and we know that you have a purpose for us. It is a transitory period that we are here on earth. Father, we've heard of the new heaven and the new earth, what we have to look forward to. Father, may we be reflective of the character. May we populate the new heaven and the new earth. May your kingdom come. Amen.